morning we're going to transition into a new study through the book of Ruth. So if you want to join me in your Bibles in the book of Ruth, in the Old Testament, uh, just after Joshua and then before Samuel, and um, we're going to read the entire book this morning, and we want to give you, um, I'll just give you a taste. This is a, a narrative, a story, um, uh, a story that is a historical fact, it is, a, is, it is an actual event that's taking place. But the Lord is presenting the story to us to teach us some biblical truths, some biblical principles. My goal this morning is to read the text to you, with you, and then to give you a kind of a flyover, uh, three basic principles that are threaded through the book of Ruth. And then the next several weeks, um, we're just going to unpack it little by little. But I wanted to read the entire book to you this morning because... Um, because it is, a, it is a narrative, it is a story. It's not just to be pieced apart, but it is to be, it is to be read and heard as a whole. And so I wanted to give you that, that experience of being able to somewhat dramatize it for you and, and um, maybe make it a little bit more realistic as to what's going on in the, in the story and give you some thoughts to go along with it to kind of set a stage, if you will, for the future. I want you to, if you, if you would, as we read through this this morning, I'd like to ask you just to make special notice of the details that are in this book. There's a lot of details. It's not a book that's meant to be left um, to be ambiguous. There is so many details about every aspect of this family, of what's happening in this family, where they're going, where they're at, um, every Every detail that you could include in this book is there, and there's a reason for it. And I want to press home that reason at the end. The last thought this morning will give us, I believe, to be the overriding theme of the book of Ruth, and um, pray that it'll be a blessing to you and, and, and challenge your heart as we go through this, that we learn and um, grow to, to love our Lord more uh, than we do now, grow to, to honor and serve him. So... If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Ruth. We're going to read through it. You're going to hear several other voices besides just mine. We're going to, we're going to try to dramatize it somewhat. Um, there's some members of the team that are behind the wall back here. You'll hear their voice. Do not assume that I have multiple voices coming out of my mouth. It is not me, but it is others. And uh, again, we just want to give you a, uh, a feel for how this, how this narrative flows. Okay, so follow along with me, if you would, in your Bibles. Scripture says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of their sons was Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites. From Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite, Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons or her husband. 
Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the field of Mo- she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited the people and given them food. So she went out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, "Go, return each of you to her mother's house." May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from your following. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and where you will, I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said... Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the heirs of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to, the, to, his, young men, to, his, to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, 
She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before? The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed her, the young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the fields until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I had worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, 
and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came short softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now, it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning." So she lay down at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could, could recognize another. And he said, Let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you have learned how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn, turn aside, a- friend. Oh, Turn Go aside, ahead, Boaz. friend. Sit down here. I almost spoke for Boaz. <laughs> the Bible goes on to say, And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also require Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. 
Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned to Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore, her, she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the son and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they called him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a, uh, just an extraordinary narrative as you present to us these historical facts, these truths through events, through circumstances, through situations that you accomplish a a bigger and and larger and, and more significant plan. Help us to, as Ruth gleaned in the fields, Lord, help us to glean from your word this morning some, some basic truths that we can take with us that we can apply, um, that we might understand you, we might understand life better, and glorify you in, in all things. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your blessing and your grace in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I want to just uh, talk a little bit about the, the, the whole narrative and give you some things to consider this morning and really kind of lay a foundation for how these things will be viewed coming up in the weeks to come as we'll break down the story into um, small bite-sized pieces. But there are some basic truths that kind of overshadow the entire story. And the first thing that you'll notice and the first thought this morning that I, I think is going to be important for the process, is you notice a lot of detail in the narrative about events that are taking place, about relationships and events. In chapter number one, you have, right off the bat, you have a famine in Bethlehem, and that famine pushes this family to Moab. In Moab, we meet Ruth, and we meet other people in Moab as well, but they stay in Moab for approximately 10 years 
Um, they have no children, which is not an accident. Um, the, the, the events of this narrative, none of them are accidents, okay? So we're pressing towards, and with all of these events that you're seeing taking place in the first few chapters, we're pressing towards something, okay? None of them, the, the reason why they're described in such detail in the text is to show us that these circumstances and these events are pressing towards a greater goal, okay? And so you have events that take place in your life. Again, at the beginning, we have we have famine, we have people moving quite a distance, possibly the, the uh, patriarch of the family, Elimelech, dying as a result of the journey. We have marriage, we have uh, husbands dying as well. We have three women left without anybody to take care of them. Think about that for a moment. We have three women left without anybody to provide for them. In this culture and in this season today, it's not so noticeable, but in the culture in which this was written, that was a serious issue. That was a serious problem. You talk about financial difficulties. These women would have had great financial difficulties. So we see financial difficulties. We see relational difficulties as Naomi comes back to them and says, go back to your families, go back to their gods. I mean, um, she's, she's pressing them back to where that they can be cared for. Um, we see discouragement and depression, don't we? And Naomi comes back and says, no, don't call me Naomi anymore, but call me Mara now, because I am, I am not, I am, I am a bitter woman. God has dealt, we not only see bitterness, but we also see a, a, a poor understanding of God's character, don't we? We see her saying, God has dealt with me bitterly, or God has, God has not been fair to me, which is a complete misrepresentation of God's character, isn't it? We see, we see all of this stuff unfolding, and the reason why um, the Lord in the book of Ruth is giving us all this detail is to show us that there are a lot of circumstances in life. There are a lot of challenges in life. There are a lot of difficulties in life. And we can look at those challenges and we look at those difficulties and we can consider them to be accidental or um, without purpose or without, without movement. But the purpose of this text is that we see God the reason why it's written in such a detailed way is that we can see God meticulously, sovereignly orchestrating these events from, from the famine that's in Bethlehem to push them to Moab to bring Ruth back to Bethlehem, then for Ruth to marry Boaz. All of this stuff, while it's circumstantial, and we look at it and we, see, we look at our own life today and we see the journey that we're on. We'll, we, see the, we see COVID, right? We see elections. We see lots of difficulties that we go through and we often want to complain and murmur and we look at them in the moment. But what we're able to do in the book of Ruth is look, look back on the situation and we can see God's meticulous hand moving throughout the text. We can see him orchestrating and organizing and planning all of these events because he has a, he has a greater purpose. And so what we learn initially is that circumstances come from God and their purpose is to press us to Christ. And the Bible says in John 6 and verse 37, all that the Father brings to me will come to me. And it's interesting about that phrase, all that the Father brings to me. When you think about the bringing, it's something that God uses circumstances. God uses situations. God uses famines in Bethlehem to push us to Moab. God uses a, uh, somebody out in the fields of Moab to say to Naomi, hey, they're blessed back in Bethlehem now. God uses that comment 
The Bible says that she had heard that they were blessed back in Bethlehem. Somebody made a comment to, to Naomi while she's gleaning in the fields that we would just kind of pass by it and not notice it, but that is a sovereign act of God to push Naomi back to Bethlehem. And then for, for Boaz to be there, to be the, the kinsman redeemer, the, the, near, the near redeemer, and for, for all the, the, the unfolding of that part of the story and for, for Ruth to be in the field with him and all of those circumstances and for him to actually notice her. And you, you have to imagine there are, there are a number of other women and men who are working in this field. For her to notice uh, um, Ruth, for him to notice Ruth in this story is not, is not an accident. It is a, it is a designed event. It is something that God is working out and God is orchestrating. And we, we can learn from uh, the, 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 the flyby, if you will, that God works through our circumstances. God works in our circumstances. God often orchestrates our circumstances to bring us to a place where we recognize our need. We recognize our, our lacking. And, and Ruth, Naomi, noticed, recognized through their circumstances, what God did is he, he ultimately, he depleted of them, he depleted them of everything that, that they naturally would lean on, right? He, he took away their dependence, perhaps, uh, I, I believe, and, and, and most of the authors that write about Elimelech was that he was a pretty solid man, he was a man who owned land in Bethlehem, he was a significant man, we see that by the redemption of that land later, so he was a significant man in Bethlehem, but God sends a famine to take away our significance, to take away their significance and show them their need for a, for a redeemer. God sends them to Moab to a place that was not a place that was honorable amongst the, the Hebrew people. It was the Moabites were not the friends of the Jewish people. And they were considered to be very immoral people. And they came as a result, the Moabites come as a result of Lot having incest with his daughters. It's a pretty, pretty horrible situation. And their, and their reputation didn't, didn't, it didn't just end with Lot and his daughters. It, it, it carried on to, they, they held that reputation for years and generations and generations. This was a wicked place. So God takes this family, he sends them to Moab where they're going to meet what type of women? They're going to meet Moabite women. Ruth was a Moabite woman. There's a lot to be said about that, and we'll look at that in the next couple of weeks. Ruth is a Moabite woman, and God sends them to get Ruth, and Ruth is going to come back, and she's going to marry Boaz, who is ultimately going to bring about redemption for Ruth, for Naomi, and for others as well. So we see all of these circumstances coming together, teaching us that God is using, showing us that God uses circumstances, God uses situations to, to orchestrate his plan and to carry out his will. I think most of us could, uh, could stop and meditate on our own conversion experience, the, the, the time that we came to know the Lord and the to really truly trust in him and place our faith in him and become dependent on him. And most of us can point at circumstances that led up to that event. 
things that helped us to see our depravity, right? Things that helped us to see our need, things that helped us to see our sinfulness, our emptiness, our brokenness, our loneliness. All of those things are in the first few chapters of Ruth. It's impossible, listen, it's impossible to seek out the Redeemer until you realize you need a Redeemer. You have to recognize your need for someone to deliver you. So why, is, why does loneliness come into our lives? Why was Ruth and, his, and her two daughter-in-laws left alone to be lonely so that they would seek out a Redeemer? Why were they sent to Moab so that they would seek out a Redeemer? Why would they come back to Bethlehem so that they would seek out a Redeemer? Why was, why was Naomi so overwhelmed with the fact that she had no one to carry on her, her husband's name, Elimelech, so that she would seek out a Redeemer. All of these things are meant to point us to seeking out a Redeemer. This is why the first three chapters of the book of Romans are, are there to show us how depraved we are. When the Bible says no one seeks after God, no one is righteous, no one is good. When the Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the purposes of that, the purpose of that is the same as what we see in the first part of the book of Ruth. It is to show us that we need a Savior. And without that Redeemer, without that Savior, we will, we will be helpless and hopeless. So the circumstances of Ruth that are, that are really well detailed and laid out are meant for us to see that it is those circumstances that God is using to humble us and then bring us to the Redeemer. You have to ask yourself the question, what circumstances is God orchestrating in my life right now? What am I going through right now that causes me? Because I, I, I would submit to you that we have become very good at being blind to what God is doing in our circumstances. We've become very good at being dull of hearing, if you will, towards what God is doing in our circumstances. All we care about when it comes to bad circumstances is what? It's that they go away. It's all we care about. We don't think that the bad circumstances in life are meant for our good to bring us to the realization that we need a redeemer. When you think about the story that goes on here, you're talking about family loss. You're talking about financial loss. I will tell you this. The redeemer will do whatever it takes to get his children. There's no boundaries. There's no limits to what God will do to get his children. That's his love. Circumstances in life, circumstances that you're dealing with right now, situations that you're dealing with, relationships, struggles, difficulties, they're all meant for your pointing to a redeemer, to the Messiah. So when we, when we go through the book of Ruth, you're going to see all of this detail. You're going to see all of this unfolding of what we would say, oh, those are just insignificant details. No, they're, they're significant details. Because I guarantee you that if you read through chapter one of Ruth, you will find your story there. You will find your story. You will find your struggles. You will find financial struggles. You will find relational struggles. You will find loneliness. You will find bitterness. You will find worry. You find everything in this story. And yet at the same time, you are meant, the purpose of this passage of scripture is meant for you to see God orchestrating it. It's meant for you to see God authoring it. 
So that's the first thought I want you to see as an overriding theme of the book of Ruth. The second thought is, is right in the middle, and it is simply that Jesus is the one who's going to redeem us. Jesus, Boaz, is a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the one who redeems. And you see in, in Boaz, you see a number of different things. We, won't, we, won't, we don't have time to go through them all, but just a few things to, to consider in, in Boaz. You have a caring redeemer. You have somebody who sees Ruth in her need, and not just Ruth, but also Naomi in her need, and you see somebody that becomes the, he becomes the, he becomes the fulfillment of their need. You see terms like, when, when Ruth was satisfied, right? She had some leftover, <laughs> right? When Ruth is satisfied with what Boaz had given her, she had some leftover. Uh, Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When Christ becomes our satisfaction, we find full fulfillment, not just full fulfillment for ourselves, but the Bible talks about in John that we become a spring of life. It's not just our being satisfied, but we become the satisfaction for other people. We become the, the, the ministers of grace for other people. We become Christ to other people. Jesus Christ redeems us as a caring redeemer, a compassionate redeemer. It's also interesting to note throughout the book of, of Ruth that he redeems them from several different problems. He doesn't just redeem them from their sins, which is the picture that's presented, but he redeems them from loneliness. He redeems them from not having a... Um, uh, not having anybody to carry on the family name. He redeems um, Naomi from bitterness. He redeems them from, not having, from having food. I mean, everything that you need redemption from, right? Everything in the book of Ruth that needed to be redeemed was redeemed by whom? One, one man in the entire book of Ruth is the central redeemer. Everything points back to that one man as being the central redeemer. Even though there are things that seem, the Bible says Obed redeemed Naomi because he was her grandchild and she brought her, he brought her joy, right? So we would say, well, Obed was a redeemer too. No. Obed's ability to redeem Naomi was based upon whom? Who was it based upon? Boaz. Does Obed exist without Boaz? So everything in the book of Ruth points to, points and presses towards Boaz. That's why he's the center. If you study the book, you'll see him as the center of the book. He's the focus in the middle. Boaz is the redeemer, and he redeems, he redeems us from all of our problems. You may be a person that struggles with, with different things than somebody else struggles with. Jesus is the answer. It's true. Jesus is the answer to all of our problems. There isn't a problem that exists on the face of this earth that Jesus Christ is not the answer to. Jesus is the answer to all of our problems. It may not be that we experience this temporary earthly deliverance, but, we, but it is, in eternity, we will, we will be delivered from all of these things. 
It's oftentimes that sometimes the things that we deal with in this life are meant to press us closer to Christ so that we will, we will love him and appreciate him and be prepared to spend eternity with him. So Jesus is, Jesus is pictured by Boaz as the, the one who is a caring redeemer. Not only is he a caring redeemer, but notice this, in the book of Ruth, there's one payment given that redeems everything. One payment given that satisfies the requirements for everything. And what was that payment? It was the payment that Boaz made to the one who owned, the, was, was made to, to redeem the land that Elimelech had sold. It's very likely the story goes that Elimelech sold the land because of the, because of the problems in, um, in Bethlehem. And then he had the right based upon Leviticus chapter number 25, he had the right to redeem that land because he had to sell it in times of difficulty. So when your land is, when your land, when you have to sell your land because you're going through difficulty or whatever you sell, you have the right to redeem it or someone after you has the right to redeem it. So Jesus Christ makes a payment or, or uh, Boaz makes a payment. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the one who makes that payment, isn't it? Isn't he? Our, our problem is sin, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews and in many other passages of Scripture that Jesus Christ came into this world. He took upon himself our sins, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus Christ takes upon himself all of our sins, right? He hangs on a tree 2,000 years ago. He pays the full price, Isaiah 53. He pays the full price that, are, that was required for your sins, for the sins of all those who, who believe, and he then purchased them, redeemed them, restored them, renewed them by the payment of this price. That's what Jesus Christ has done. He has paid a sufficient price price to redeem his people from whatever they're dealing with, which all of it is rooted in sin. Every problem that we face this morning, loneliness, financial difficulties, physical health difficulties, all of it is rooted in sin. Without the fall in the Garden of Eden, none of that stuff exists. The solution is Christ. The only solution for being delivered from our sins is Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord God in heaven might have to make things really bad in this world for us to see that. It's true, isn't it? The Lord might have to make the earth really, really difficult for us to see our sinfulness. It's sad, though. It seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse, and we're getting less and less, um, we're getting less, and less pointed to Jesus. The world is. I was... Uh, tell a little short little antidote here. I was at a, a car lot this week. I've been trying to look to buy a car so I can have some wheels to get from place to place. And um, the guy said to me, we were just having this conversation. And he said, he said, you know what the problem with our, with our he was talking about California. He said, you know what the problem with our, with our state is? And I said, no, well, what is it? He says, we hate God. That was his comment. We hate God. And um, Obviously, that spurred off a long conversation when you're talking to a preacher. We're going somewhere with that. But um, it's true. We're not, all that God is throwing at us to help us to see that we need him, that we need Christ, is pushing the world away from him. But listen, folks, we, we're not the world. 
We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We have, a, we have a responsibility to represent what it looks like to respond properly to God's pointing people to himself, to driving us to a point where we're needy enough to go to him. It's so true, folks, that we are, we are a people that we're needy enough to pray, right? But we're not needy enough to pursue, We have everything pretty much figured out. So we might start our day off with a short little prayer, Lord, bless this day, help me, da-da-da-da-da. But when we have a problem throughout that day, we have a solution for it, don't we? And is it driving us to Jesus, or in many cases, is it driving us away from Jesus? So Ruth and Naomi were put in these situations and circumstances. The reason for it was that they would be pressed to this Redeemer, when Boaz comes on the scene, you see this. She's, the Ruth is like overwhelmed that he's so kind to her. She calls herself his servant, and then she says, even though I'm not your servant. I mean, this is somebody who is on the outside looking in. This is a, a Moabite woman. This is a woman who came as the result of Lot and his and incest. This is a nobody woman coming into the field of a, of a Jewish man who was very significant, right? That is the picture of the gospel, that is what the gospel is. It is Moabite men and women coming into the field of, a, of, a, of Jesus Christ and experiencing extraordinary blessing. The problem in many cases, folks, is we don't ever see ourselves as the Moabite woman. We don't come to Christ in humility and brokenness, and therefore we don't experience the same extraordinary blessing that, he, that she experienced you just think about it, it almost brings back pictures of Job, of, of not Job, um, of, uh, of um, trying to think here, the prodigal son, when he, when he comes back and he falls down before his father and he says, just make me one of your servants. It's total humility and brokenness. So Jesus redeems us from every problem. Caring redeemer, sufficient sacrifice, and he was a worthy redeemer. It says in um, the middle parts of Ruth, it says that, that Boaz was a worthy redeemer. And Jesus Christ is a worthy redeemer. Meaning, meaning this, what it simply means when it says that, that Boaz was a worthy redeemer was that he, was, he, was, he had the authority to redeem and Jesus has the authority to redeem. Listen to me. Jesus has the authority to redeem anyone that he wants to redeem. He has the authority to redeem anyone. Our job is to present the gospel. His job is to bring redemption. I don't want to get into, well, I do want to get into, but I'm not going to, what redemption means. But I think for most of us, we get an idea of redemption to be bought back, to be, to be brought, bought out of something that's horrible and placed into something that's good. Uh, a blessing, a story, a little boy, a homeless boy who is out on the streets, it's raining, it's cold, he's out there, a very, very wealthy man goes out, picks him up, brings him back to his house, clothes him, gives him all the food on his table, gives him a bath, gives him a place to sleep. The idea of redemption in, the, in that picture. That's what the Lord did for us. He reached down and he brought us out. The last thought this morning that overrides this, I believe this is the central theme of the entire book, and that is redemption moves us to God's fulfilled plan. 
Redemption moves us to God's fulfillment. I, I believe that the entire book of Ruth is written for one reason and one reason alone. It is meant to show us how we, how we went from Judges to Samuel and David. The book of Ruth is meant to tell us how we go from Judges, where every man does what's right in his own eyes. The very last, the very last phrase in the book of Judges is, there was no king in the land, and every man did that was right in his own eyes. And then Samuel, we have David coming on the scene, Right? We have this redemption. We have this redemption of the children of Israel. At the end of the book of, of Ruth, what do we have? We have genealogies. The reason for those genealogies is to point us to David. How does, how does, da- how does God's plan get fulfilled through a Moabite woman and a Jewish man? Is what's presented in the book of Ruth. It is the most hopeful passage of Scripture to bring a people from being to- totally in defiance towards God to being completely under his care and his protection. That's from David, from the judges to David. And think about it with me for a moment. The Bible says, if you go back to, with me to the book of Genesis, if you want to just look back at Genesis real quick, <clears throat> Genesis 49. We'll unpack this further in the future because it's, there's, there's lots of really important truths here as well. But here's what he says, and I think this is the overall theme that God is saying to us that he is going to fulfill his plan. That God is going to fulfill his plan. It's not gone away. So you think about the end of Judges, they have no king, everything is chaos, and people are like, is, is God's promises ever going to come about, right? So we're in COVID, we have an election coming up, everything is chaos, and we're like, is God's plan really going to come about? What does God do? He throws Ruth in the middle. He says in verse number 10 of Genesis 49, he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. We know, based upon this verse, that the ruler, the king, would come from the tribe of Judah. We know that Perez is the son of Judah, based upon immorality as well, with Tamar, his daughter-in-law. This is crazy, isn't it? If you ever feel yourself to be outside of being able to be used by God, just read some of Scripture. You're not. These are the people that God uses. Tamar was his was 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 Judah's or Jacob's um, Judah's step or daughter-in-law, and she has she has immorality. She sleeps with him, and she has children based off that relationship. And that's who's going to fit into this to this genealogy. He says, um, and he closes out the book with this genealogy. He's pressing home the main theme is all about this genealogy. The main theme is all about God's bigger plan being fulfilled through these people. That's us, man. Man, we're that Moabite woman. We're, that, we're, that, we're somewhere in there, but God's, God's big plan is being fulfilled through us. Just accept it. Just accept it and, 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 and live and serve him. He goes on to say in verse, I'm just going to read these, the genealogies. He says, and now these are the generations of Perez. Judah, Judas, son and grandson. It's crazy. Judah's son and grandson. Jacob's son and grandson. 
Abraham's son and grandson. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. We're going to see him at the end of this book. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. Matthew chapter number one, the genealogies. David falls right into the line of who is the ultimate redeemer? Who is the ultimate redeemer? What is this all meant to point us to? This all means to point us to Christ. This is a narrative placed in the middle of two books that are transitions from a people that were wicked, doing whatever they wanted, to a people that were under the leadership and kingship of David. And what fits into the middle? But this little story of a family who went through great trials and great tribulations, and God used them in the narrative of his plan and purposes to bring about the redemption of the world. It's powerful. And we fit in there. So my encouragement to you this morning, my challenge to you is know this. Circumstances come from God and they're always meant to press you to Christ. All of your circumstances, COVID, election, all of these things that you, can, you could write a book about today in your own little way, right? Christ. Christ, Christ, Christ. Not, not a certain political party, not a, not a medicine that's going to come out next year, but Jesus is the solution. All of our circumstances are meant to point us to Christ. Christ is a worthy redeemer, a sufficient redeemer, a caring redeemer. Christ is the perfect redeemer. Amen? And ultimately, God is working out this universal, um, eternal plan that we fit into as he carries out his purposes. And we get to serve him, we get to honor him, we get to worship and praise him in the midst of his plan. So let us be used by him. Let us be his tools and vessels so that he can accomplish his goals. Because as Romans 8, 28, the Bible says that he is going to accomplish all of his purposes. And all throughout the scriptures, we see it unfold. So I hope that's encouragement to you and challenge to you. Next week, we're going to break down the very beginning. There's, there's, there's a lot to be had here in the book of Ruth. And I, and I hope and pray that it will continue to be a blessing to you. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you can use broken vessels, that um, your gospel, your redemption, your ability to, and, and authority and right to buy back that which is rightfully yours is is incomprehensible and we just thank you for it today we pray that you would help us to trust you to depend upon you to watch you unfold your extraordinary plan and to worship you through it we'll give you the thanks and the praise for it in christ's name amen